0: <clears throat> so, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, so, it's in the New Testament. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. So, if you've got it on your phone, the Bible app on your phone, if you have the Version Bible app, um, you can go to events and search for Cane Bay, and you will always find the message notes um, loaded into the Bible app, if you would like to use that. This morning but Acts chapter 8 is where we will be Um, and we're continuing a series that we've been in this year um, through the book of Acts and this section we're calling um, multiply now this you see that on the screen behind me you see the the title multiply on your your program or your bulletin and what we're calling Acts chapter 8 and 9 we're calling those two chapters as we walk through them we're calling it multiply and I'm about to tell you why So if you back up to the very beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, what you see is that right after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he is with his disciples and his followers for a period of time, and then he ascends to heaven. And right before he ascends to heaven, he gives them this mission to go and tell everyone around the whole world about who he is. And so that happens in, the, in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and gives them power. So the Spirit of God, like, is poured out. It's this crazy scene. And in one day, how many people, when Peter preaches and Pentecost happens, how many people come to know Jesus and follow him in one day? Does anybody Remember? I, see, I hear all kinds of numbers. 3,000, 3,000, going once, going to, No, sorry, I, that just felt like an auctioneer for a second. Um, <clears throat> yes, 3,000 people in one day. And what happens is we call that addition growth. The church is adding people. It even says that at the end of chapter 2 of Acts. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were coming to know Jesus and accepting Him as their Lord. And then in Acts 4, you see that. In Acts 6, you see that over and over the church is growing. It's adding to its numbers. However, a few weeks ago, we talked about Acts chapter 7. And you have this guy named Stephen, who's a follower of Jesus, who just, he's just a regular guy. He's not a pastor. He's not on staff. He's just a regular guy who's following Jesus. And he raises his hand because there's a need for him to serve in a way to help widows get fed. And he says, I'll, I'll help do that. And so he and, and six other guys helped do that. But Stephen was pretty bold about his faith in Jesus Christ. And it cost him his life. So several weeks ago, we shared his story where he was stoned to death. And when that happened all of a sudden something completely changed in the church. Something remarkable happens. The Bible says right there in Acts chapter 6 and 7 that when that happened to Peter, I mean to Stephen, that great persecution breaks out. What happens is the religious leaders and the authorities, they decided that to silence the Christians they would have to kill them and torture them. And so that begins to happen and many followers of Jesus scatter from Jerusalem. And they scatter out to the countryside and surrounding countries. And all of a sudden, Jesus' command becomes true. Because do you remember Jesus' command in Acts 1.8? I want to read it for you. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what had been happening from Acts 1 to 7 is Jerusalem and Judea, people were coming to know Jesus. They were adding the church was growing. But what happens now in Acts chapter 8 is that as Christians scatter, the church multiplies. Because now people who were never included and invited before are included and invited to follow Jesus. Now, let me tell you the difference between addition and multiplication. How many of you like math? Just raise your hand if you like math. Yeah, I see Mr. Mark back there. Some people are really excited about math. How many of you hate math? Just just be bold. All right. So, addition says this. If I were to give you $1,000 a day for the next 30 days, you would be happy, wouldn't you? Would you be happy? Okay, you don't have to like math to say yes to that. All right. $1,000 a day for the next 30 days, you would have $30,000. That's pretty good, right? All right, what if I were to give you, don't put this on the screen yet, but what if I were to give you one penny today and it doubles every day for the next 30 days? Which one would would you take? Yeah, some of you already know this example. You've seen it before. Do you know how much money you would have if I gave you a penny today and it doubled every day? $5,368,709 $5,368,709 after 30 days. That's crazy. That's multiplication. Understand. Let me just tell you this is why our church is passionate about planting other churches, this is why we're passionate about sending missionaries out. Because we can focus on gathering people here and adding to our numbers. And that's good. It's good for our church to grow and for people to come here. And we're glad you're here this morning. But listen, that... There's nothing in addition that's compared to multiplication. See, when we plant churches, when we send missionaries, when the church, when what happened to Stephen happened, it seemed dark, it seemed bad. Stephen died. There was great persecution, but what God did through that was unbelievable because God unleashed his church. And he scattered Christians all out over the world. And here we are today because of that the church multiplied because that's what followers of Jesus are supposed to do. They're supposed to multiply, and that's where we pick up this story today. So, Acts chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 26, and I want you to see what happens. It says this, "An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip." Now, Philip was another one of those guys like Stephen, just a regular guy serving in the church, came to know Jesus, gave his life to Jesus, and now he wants other people to know the good news that he's discovered. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, get up and go south on the road or to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So God says, hey, Philip, I want you to go south down this road from Jerusalem that goes through the desert. You ever been through a desert? Okay. And maybe you've been through a desert physically, but maybe you've also been through one spiritually or in your life where you just go through a dry spell. So it's not the greatest thing in the world to go into the desert, but that's where God sends Philip. Because God has a plan for Philip, Philip doesn't understand. Often God sends us or brings us through things we don't really understand, like the death of Stephen. They didn't understand how a man dying could spread and multiply the church. God sends Philip down this road toward Gaza. Have You heard of Gaza. So if you've been watching the news in the last 30 days, Gaza has been in the news. It is a Palestinian territory in what we know is the nation of of Israel. And it's along the Mediterranean Sea. Here's a map that will just place this for you. So Gaza is over there along the Mediterranean Sea. Now the Palestinian territories you'll see are marked in a darker brown color. Gaza is a Palestinian territory, and likely at the time that Philip was going there, there were some Jewish people who lived there, but there were also some leftover Philistines, Canaanites, and other people who maybe they didn't think would ever be included in God's kingdom in this whole story of of Jesus. And what you're about to find out is a lot more people are included and invited than you might first expect. So Philip heads down the road from, you see where Jerusalem is, toward Gaza. And this is what happens next. Verse 27. So he got up and went. Now that's pretty key. God tells him to do something. He's obviously tuned in and listening to God. And he goes. It says, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. So what happens is Philip is on his way toward Gaza and he passes this guy. And this guy is coming from a far-off country, we know it as Ethiopia, and he's headed to Jerusalem, and he just so happens to, on his chariot, be reading from the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah, who's probably one of the most famous Jewish prophets. So here's what we learn about this guy. First of all, we learn that he's Ethiopian. He's from Africa. Remember Jesus' command when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into what? The ends of the earth. You know what? They probably thought they were going to have to go to the ends of the earth. God brings the ends of the earth to them. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, one chapter later, in, after Stephen's death, all of a sudden the ends of the earth are here. They would have considered Ethiopia an African kingdom about as far off the edge as, as they could get. What you don't realize, though, maybe, is that this guy is going to Jerusalem to worship because Ethiopia had quite a history with Jerusalem. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find that the king of of the Jews, King Solomon at one time, long in the past, had a relationship with the queen of Sheba. Sheba is the old word for Ethiopia. And they had a relationship and all of a sudden you have in Ethiopia this group of people who began to understand and read and follow the scriptures. And some of them began to worship the one true God. And that had happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this takes place. So you have this Ethiopian guy who's already familiar with the God of the Hebrew people and he's reading their scriptures. When I lived in Ethiopia 10 years ago, Um, What I didn't realize, and maybe you'll find this interesting, is that if you go to northern Ethiopia today, you will find over 500 villages of people who are Ethiopian Jews. Isn't that interesting? And they trace their history back to Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. There's many of them that they, they go by this term Falasha, but they are Ethiopian Jews. And it's so interesting to me. And you have a guy coming from Ethiopia to Jerusalem because God has already been at work long before this day takes place. The second thing you learn about him is he's not only Ethiopian, but he's a eunuch. Now, this is, um, this is a little bit graphic, but eunuchs... Eunuchs would have been males who had been castrated or surgically altered so that they would not develop hormonally and they could not reproduce. And you would go, well, why would this happen? So uh, it was a custom in many places in the ancient world, many empires and kingdoms for wealthy people or royal families to enslave or in servitude have eunuchs working on their behalf. So families would even choose, sometimes it wasn't their choice, sometimes it was for a little boy to become a eunuch so that he could be sold into this trafficking business so that he would be in servitude to a wealthy royal family because here's the crazy part of this. they they did this so that they could somehow um, trust or, or these, these eunuchs were seen as non-threatening. Now, you can understand why non-threatening to their children or their wives. And so they would, ens- they would enslave and biologically alter them so they could be useful to them. Interesting in a terrible way. And that was a custom in a lot of the ancient world. His biology was altered, and his identity was wrapped up in his usefulness to somebody else. I want you to understand what this means, though, for this guy. Even though it was common practice then, and maybe he didn't know any different, you have to understand, because he's a eunuch, he'll never have a family. He'll never be free even though he's in charge of the queen's treasury because he can be trusted and he's non-threatening and he's placed in charge of her treasury, um, he's technically enslaved. He'll never fit in society. And what I mean by that is this, he'll, by the world standards, he was not normal. By the world standards, he didn't really fit in to the rest of culture. So he'll never have a family, he'll never be free. They'll never really fit in. But here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. The same God who led Philip just a few verses earlier to the Samaritans who the Jews thought were unclean, leads Philip to a man who they would never have considered would be included in the kingdom of God. A man who didn't, was not the poster child for what the world thought God included and invited. And yet, this is the guy Philip sends God sends Philip to. Now look what look what happens. Verse 29: the spirit told Philip, Go and join that chariot. In other words, God says to Philip, Go get in his car. Go sit beside him because I have a plan, and I'm going to use you in it. Now, I'm I'm unsure how the Spirit told Philip this. I have no idea, but I'm guessing it's the same way the Spirit of God speaks to us. You may ask, well, how how does God speak? God has never spoken to me with audible words but he's many times and probably is true for you spoken with promptings and urgings and there have been times in my life when I've been listening to God and spending time with God and all of a sudden I know that God wants me to do something or call me to something or take a risk or speak to something or go out of my way to help somebody have you ever experienced something like that the question is how do you how do you listen to God how do you hear his voice I mean the simple thing I would say is spend time with him like, we say it all the time at Church at Cane Bay, there is nothing better that you can do than daily spend time reading the Word of God. I don't know if you realize the gravity of this, but we have God's Word in printed form in many translations. You probably have several sitting on your bookshelf at home. We have it on our phones. Like, there are places around the world they can't have access to it, and we have it, and we, and we neglect it. Like, You have the words of God. And here's what I've discovered. When you spend time talking to God and reading his word every day, you become more familiar with what his voice sounds like. And then you tend tend to hear him clearer. And Philip seems to be a guy that can hear what God is saying and he obeys him. Look at verse 30. When Philip ran up to it, up to the chariot, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? Look at what the eunuch says. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Isn't that exactly what God wanted? God said, go join him in his chariot. Well, how was Philip going to accomplish that? These guys are from two totally different worlds. How is... God's already accomplished it. Philip goes and obeys what God says. And and, and notice what he says. He asks him, what's he reading? Or does he understand what he's reading? And the guy goes, hey, why don't you come explain it to me? Isn't it interesting how God prepares the way sometimes? I want you to notice a couple things about Philip in this. Um, One, he has the courage to speak. You notice that? Like, Philip... This was probably a little bit out of his comfort zone. I'm not sure about that. Um, But he has the courage to immediately go to this guy, runs to the chariot, and he says something to them. Too often, you know what I think? Too often, I think we stay silent on things that matter the most. Sometimes I worry about what people will think of me if I start talking about God or about Jesus. I'll think maybe I'll offend them. I don't want to push them away. I don't don't want to to make them think poorly of me. I don't want to mess it up. Like, what if I don't say the right things? Listen, God didn't need somebody who was qualified. God needed somebody who was willing. And he sends Philip, and Philip goes, and Philip has the courage to speak. All, All I'm saying is this. The gospel of Jesus is much too urgent for us to stay silent about it. And it will not multiply and spread until we have the courage to speak. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have family members, you have classmates. There are people around you who desperately need to know and understand who Jesus is. And you may be the only voice who speaks up. How many people are around you right now that God is already preparing their heart, already stirring their minds about Jesus, and he's asking you to be the one who actually puts it into words? You know, in the book of Romans, Paul would write that how could people believe if they didn't hear, and how could they hear if no one goes? And then he says this, he says, How beautiful, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news about Jesus. All right, we're going to skip through that real quick, and I want you to look at what happens next. All right, well, the second thing I want to point out to you is this. One, he has the courage to speak, but two, he has the compassion to listen. He has the compassion to listen. Did you notice what Philip did when he ran up to the chariot? He doesn't start preaching. He doesn't start saying, hey, I need about five minutes of your time so I can tell you about the Bible or I can tell you about Jesus. No, he simply asks a question. He simply says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The guy goes, no, not really. But if you know, why don't you sit up here and tell me? See, here's the interesting thing I, I believe. We live in a world where everybody has an opinion. Everybody has something to say. Everybody wants to convert you to their ideology or their political persuasion or their belief system. Everybody has something. Just get on Facebook. Everybody has something to promote, something to sell you, something to say, something to offer. But here's the thing, and this, I think, represents the the attitude and the posture that Christians ought to take. Philip is just interested in this guy, and he asks him a question, and he listens to what his answer is. Listen, in today's world of lots of answers and lots of advice, what would it look like for Christians just to be interested and listen and understand other people? Oh, that God would give us compassion to be interested and listen more than we talk. He has courage to speak, but he also has compassion to listen. He asks him a question. He gets invited to sit with him and explain it. And then look what happens in verse 32. Verse 32. This is the crazy part, you guys. It's about to get crazy. You ready? Look at verse 32. Now, the scripture passage the Ethiopian eunuch was reading was this. Let me just read to you what he was reading on that chariot that day. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Now now you may hear that and go, I don't know what that means. Listen, he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Probably one of the greatest and clearest prophecies about Jesus ever written. Out of all the things he could have been reading, he was reading something that was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born, and it was all about Jesus. In fact, it's the same chapter of the Bible that says he would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. By his punishment, we would have peace. By his wounds, we would be healed. It's the suffering servant passage. Of all the things he could be reading, God had led his heart and his mind to be reading about Jesus and he didn't even know who Jesus was. In fact, look at what happens. It's amazing. Look, verse 34 says this, the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Like he says, he says, Philip, Who is this about? Like I'm reading this passage from Isaiah, but I don't understand. Is this about Isaiah? Who is it about? And look at verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. Wow. Listen. Isn't it amazing that when God calls you to someone, when God calls you to have the courage to speak up, he prepares the way ahead of you. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus and you know you're called to share with other people and tell them about the hope you found and the one who's changed your life, you don't have the power to save or change anybody. But the Spirit of God is already working in hearts and lives with classmates in your classroom, with people at your work, with neighbors, with people in your family, family, and God only needs you to be willing, but he doesn't need you to be an expert, because God's spirit is already at work. Look at what he's doing here. This guy's already reading about Jesus, and then he's asking, who is this? And Philip just says, I know who it is. I, I know him. His name is Jesus, and he's changed my life. It says there, it doesn't tell us what Philip says about Jesus. It just says he told him the good news about Jesus. What is the good news about Jesus? Let's don't overcomplicate it, you guys. Listen, 2,000 years after Philip climbed in that chariot that day and shared the good news about Jesus, it has not changed. It's the same today. Here is the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. It's that God made you and he loves you. And he wants you, and he sent Jesus to die for you, and Jesus rose from the dead to free you from sin and death, and if you place your faith in him, you will spend eternity with him. You'll be free from your sin. You'll have joy and hope and peace forever, and that's what you're destined for, and that's what God wants for you. And it's just that simple. And anyone, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, you are all included and invited. I don't know if that's how Philip said it that day, but that guy that day decided that he wanted to believe in Jesus. Listen, if you're sitting in this room today and you thought that religion or Christianity was about you trying to be good enough to get God's approval or going to church a lot until God was pleased with you or doing all the right things, I'm just going to tell you there's no end to that and that's futile. But listen, Jesus died because he was good enough for you and you can only be saved and forgiven and free if you give your life to him. Maybe we've been searching for a long time. Maybe this Ethiopian guy was too. Listen, that day, he heard the truth and he believed. And maybe today, maybe today you need to cross that line as well. And say, listen, I've been searching a long time. But I need to finally say yes to Jesus. You see, that's what that guy did that day. And here's how I know. Look at verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? Now, isn't that interesting? They pass a pond. They pass a lake, a river, something. And the guy looks at Philip and says this. Interesting question. Hey, Philip, what would keep me from being baptized? Now, baptism would have been a practice he probably would have been accustomed with because it was all over the ancient world. Jesus just redefines baptism. Jesus doesn't reinvent baptism. Like, Jesus goes and gets baptized because it was already a symbol of forgiveness of sins and repentant and cleansing and life change. And Jesus goes and stands in the water and lets John baptize him and says, Now, I want you to go and tell people about me and lead people to follow me and as they follow me baptize. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus says, I want you to take the symbol of baptism and it's going to be a public marker of everyone who I change their life and give them freedom and eternity. I want you to baptize them as a public display of their willingness and their choice to follow me. So that guy, he obviously understood it at some level because he says to Philip, why can't I be baptized? He actually doesn't say, why can't I be baptized? Look at the question again. He says, What would keep me from being baptized? Do you see that? That's a very important question. And I think he phrased it that way for a very specific reason. Because here's the thing. There are a lot of earthly reasons that he should not be baptized. Are you with me? There would probably be a lot of people who would object to this guy being baptized. Culturally, he's extremely different. I've already told you he's a eunuch. I've already told you, like, he doesn't understand the whole Bible. He's never been to a connect class or an equip group or an MC. Like this guy, he, he, there are a lot of reasons that you would say, wait, 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 this guy doesn't have it together. His lifestyle is different than mine. He doesn't look like me. He, he doesn't understand the things I understand. He says, what would keep me from being baptized? And guess what Philip's answer is? Philip doesn't answer. Philip doesn't answer in words. He answers in actions. Listen, before I get to what Philip does, I just want to tell you this. What would keep someone from being baptized? Later in the book of Acts, there's some debate about what behavior and custom and lifestyle people who follow Jesus should exemplify, right? In fact, there's debate about who should be included in this whole gospel thing, who should be included in God's family and God's kingdom, and there's this debate about it. And Paul steps in, and this is what he says in Acts 15, 19. He says, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You see people saying, but they don't act like us. They don't, they don't think like us. They don't understand all the things we understand. They don't keep our customs. They don't keep our rules. And Paul says, listen, you guys, the gospel is not about rules and externals and behaviors. The gospel is about people saying, I'm a mess and I need Jesus. And Paul says, I think we shouldn't make it hard for people to believe that. Listen you guys, sometimes in our world we often focus on behaviors and externals and sometimes we actually make it difficult for lost people to get found. Jesus says in his invitation, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His invitation includes every man, woman, and child. Why would we ever make it difficult? See, including outsiders and outcasts. It was obviously the call of Jesus. It was obviously the story of the early church. But it didn't start. It didn't start with Jesus. God was always that way. It's our nature to want people, to want to be around people that look like us and act like us and exclude people. I mean, that happens all the time, but that was never God. In fact, here's the crazy thing I'm about to tell you. Remember what chapter of the Bible I told you that Ethiopian eunuch was reading that day? What was it? is a quiz. Isaiah 53. Guess what? That was written 700 years before this ever took place. He was reading it that day. Three chapters later in Isaiah 56, which I bet he read after he left Philip that day. Just three chapters later, I want you to look at what Isaiah 56 says. God says this, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, you see that? And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, for the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls, a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. God always wanted to include the outcast and the outsider. How does Philip Answer his question because his question was what would keep me from being baptized, right? Verse 38 tells you. So Philip ordered the chariot to stop. It's not even his chariot to order. Are you with me? But he orders the chariot to stop and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Philip spoke with his life With his actions. Should you be included? Should you be baptized? I'll show you. Let's get in the water. Philip didn't just sit beside him. Philip got in the water with him. And he baptized him that day. To say that there's no one and nothing that would ever keep you from God's kingdom. You're invited. Over the first six months of this year, 2021, we've had eight people baptized at church at Cane Bay. And because we have two services now, and because you may be out on vacation one weekend or whatever, you may have missed some of them. So I just wanted to share them quickly with you because baptism is just one of those things where you can see that somebody is invited and included in God's kingdom forever. So I want to quickly just show you the eight people. been baptized at church at Cane Bay this year. Watch this. Listen, some of you need to be baptized. Some of you, are you've been curious about Jesus. You've been maybe searching about who Jesus is and this good news, this gospel. Some of you have chosen to believe it, but you've never stood in front of us, in front of your church, like the Philip, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch stood in the water that day. Some of you need to get in the water. There's something about baptism. I remember the day I got baptized. And I stood in front of my family and everybody, and I was saying, look, I know there's nothing about baptism that's magical. There's nothing about the water. It's not baptism that saves you. Jesus does that. But the baptism is kind of like putting on a wedding ring. It's saying to everybody, I belong to somebody now. I'm included. And it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm good, it has everything to do with the fact that Jesus is good. There's something about baptism that's a marker. It's like you put, drive a stake in the ground and say, I belong to God now. I belong to Jesus for the rest of my life. And some of you need to do that. We've decided on October 3rd this year, I know that seems far off, it's not that far off. We're gonna do a huge outdoor baptism. And if you want to be baptized, if you have more questions about it, you want to talk to somebody about it, listen, on the connect card, I want you to check the box that says baptism that you're interested in it. You're not officially signing up. You're just saying, hey, I think I need to be included in that. I I have more questions about it. We'll talk to you about it. Listen, have the courage to take that step if God is speaking to you and urging you to do it. All right, we're going to finish this up, I want you to look at verse 39. It says, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The spirit of the Lord called Philip somewhere else. There were more people waiting that Philip needed to speak to. And the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. You see that? He went on his way rejoicing why because it's not philip that he needed to know it's jesus that he needed to know his life has changed forever he went on his way rejoicing even though he didn't have family and he wouldn't have family and he wouldn't be free and he doesn't fit in he knows jesus life has changed forever now where does joy come from not your circumstances you see, here's the crazy thing. And then it says in verse 40, Philip appeared in Azotus and was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Philip just kept on doing what God was calling him to do. He kept on going for Jesus. Here's what I, what I want you to notice. Even though that Ethiopian eunuch would never be able to have a family in this world, now he has a father and he has brothers and sisters, and I'm one of them. Even though he'd never be free in this world, and what happened to him just doesn't seem fair to me, now he's free. He's free from sin and death and slavery. He has peace forever. And even though in this world he would never really fit in, now he belongs. He belongs to a community of people united by Jesus forever. What does this mean for us? I mean, what do we do about this story? The question I think we walk away today with is this. Who are the outsiders and the outcasts God is calling you to? Who are the people who don't think they fit in? They don't know what you know. They they, they may never walk in the doors of this church, but God put you in the classroom with us, in the workplace with them, in your family, beside you as neighbors, and you are the only voice. What if you begin to pray today? God, would you give me the courage to speak and the compassion to listen? Listen, if you're curious and searching like the Ethiopian unit, then I would say, yes, you're invited. Yes, you're included. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you think the world thinks of you. God says you're included and you're invited. Jesus died for you. Today, needs to be the day that you say yes to him. Would you stand with me and let me pray for us? God, in this room, as I read this story, I'm so thankful for Philip and his courage to speak and his compassion to just listen and go to people that were very different from him and people that maybe the rest of the world would say not would not be included or invited, and yet he had the willingness to go. God, may we be those people. God, call us to the people who don't know Jesus yet. Help us to see every man, woman, and child, God, the way you see them. Help us have the courage to speak. Help us have ears to listen. And help us love them the way you love them. And God, for anyone in this room right now who feels like maybe they don't understand it all, they don't fit in, they they know they have a past, they're well aware of their failures and their weaknesses, and yet, God, they're, they're here because you want them and you love them, and they're invited into your kingdom. And God, I pray right now they would have the courage to trust you and to give their lives to Jesus. And God, right now as we sing, I pray they would just talk to you and they would say, yes, Jesus, thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.